We're not Campbellites, but neither can we deny the influence of Alexander Campbell over our ways of thinking in the Churches of Christ. I wanted to read a quote from him where he said, We have no system of our own, nor of others to substitute in lieu of the reigning systems. We only aim at substituting the New Testament in lieu of every creed in existence, whether Mohammedan, Pagan, Jewish, or Presbyterian. We wish to call Christians to consider that Jesus Christ has made them kings and priests to God. We neither advocate Calvinism, Arminianism, Arianism, Trinitarianism, Unitarianism, Deism, or Sectarianism, but New Testamentism. We wish, we cordially wish, to take the New Testament out of the abuses of the clergy and put it into the hands of the people. There are many things to agree with there, many wonderful ideas that have helped shape our doctrine for 200 years now. But the one we want to talk about today is that idea of replacing every creed in existence with the New Testament. No creed but Christ has long been our rallying cry. The idea of all we need is the Bible and nothing more is one that we wholly support. But does that exclude the idea of not having a creed? That's the question we're going to explore on this week of Who Let the Dogma Out, is is there a room for creeds, confessions, and catechisms, or are they wholly incompatible with God's design for the church? Welcome to Who Let the Dogma Out, where doctrine has dominion over all of life. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Wilkie, joined once again by Titus Anderson and Daniel Mayfield, and let's go ahead and just get right into it, guys. Uh... Creeds and confessions, uh, we, we all brought topics to this season that we wanted to talk about. Uh, I think you guys have both heard me rant about this one. This one is, is the one that was just kind of hot on my mind, has been for a long time now, is this idea of creeds and confessions. And so as we introduce the topic, or what do you, where do you guys want to roll from the start here? We've got an outline we're going to go into, but any comments before we get started on that? I think one of the important things to bring out at the beginning that we were mentioning in before the show uh, is that uh, this is not an area that I think we we have it completely nailed down. This is uh, this is one where I can kind of see it one way and I can kind of see it the other way. I see value on both ends. I see some values in some creeds and I see the you know a lot of dangers within them. And so I wrestle between the two. I'm not sure if I would be as hardlined as Campbell was. But I do wrestle between the two. And there's a I think there's some openness that we have here to disagreement and, you know, feeling this out. I think that, you know, to, to begin with, from our background, as we've you know, grown up in the church, you know, if I mention the word creed, you know, nine times out of 10, that's come in a negative context, you know, the danger of creeds, you know, the, the, the evil of creeds, the sinfulness of creeds, all of these things. And, you know, as you come to this episode and you see this on creeds and confessions, uh, you know, I hope that you would realize that obviously, as, as the other guys have said, we are, um, we're not change agents. We're not coming in trying to say, oh, let's up in the tea table and just change everything that we do. And, you know, let's grab the Westminster confession and grab this creed. And we're going to start um, you know, repeating these things in the service, but I think we we want to discuss it. You know, everything should be up for discussion. Everything should be up for, you know, when we delve into this, what is it? What are the merits of it? What are the dangers of it? And so again, um, if the title scares you, uh, if you go, oh, oh no, what is this? Uh, have an open mind, at least, you know, uh, at least discuss it through. And then if the end you uh, have a good faith disagreement, then I think that's totally acceptable. 
Um, but at the same time, unless we discuss these things, if they're always taboo, if it's, you know, the one thing we don't talk about around the dinner table, um, that can just fester into the point to where you can't have any kind of meaningful conversation about it. And so I think that's helpful to, to nail down as we start talking about this. For sure. Uh, I will say, and we'll get into this later, so I'll just put this out there to let it simmer for a bit. I believe it's not possible to be anti-creedal. You know, we say, well, you have no creed, but that you're starting down a creed road with that statement. And so we'll, we'll flesh that out and see if, if that holds up, if my belief on that is uh, what holds up. But let's start with defining terms because you hear creed, confession, catechism. They're not the same thing. They're very closely related. Uh, creed is a, a statement of basic beliefs about God and the Bible. I mean, like the Apostles' Creed is the most famous one, and that's something that you know a lot of denominational groups read at the start of every worship service or, or just once a Sunday. And that sounds weird, and because they do it, we kind of shy away. You read it, it's pretty hard to disagree with. I mean, it does say the one holy Catholic Church, and you get a little weird about that until you realize they don't mean the Roman Catholic Church. But, uh, you know, it's we believe in God, we believe in the Bible, we believe in the Holy Spirit, we believe in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, we believe in the church. You know, basic stuff that, that's pretty hard to disagree with. And so creeds usually are more basic of a statement of belief in God and, and the, the Christian God, in a sense. Confessions are where you flesh it out as to how we apply our beliefs in God, what we believe makes up the church and, and what we believe makes up a Christian and things like that. Um, and, and so some of those are very long, very lengthy documents of here's all of the doctrinal things we've parsed out about X, Y, and Z, what we believe about forms of worship and, and patterns of life and things like that. In a sense, it's almost as if the creed is the Pledge of Allegiance and the confession is the Constitution. Um you know, or, or even the Declaration of Independence versus the Constitution. They're just different things. One's longer than the other. One is more detailed than the other. The other is a little bit, you know, the first is more just generically rolling ideas out where the other one is saying, and here's what we do about that. And then catechisms are when you convert the confessional beliefs into a series of questions to teach them to people. And so we're not going to talk about catechisms as much, but it's a word that gets used in and among the three of these. And so Let's get into why the Churches of Christ haven't had one. Going back to the Campbell quote, um, going back to, you know, just that that prevailing idea that we have of no creed but Christ, I think that is a very, I, I am, you know, coming at this of, as I said, I don't think it's possible to, anti, to be anti-creedal, but I think the motive behind that is a very positive one. So let's talk about why that has been our stance for 200 plus years. Yeah, I think they wanted to, uh, find a way to bring unity, which there hadn't been, you know, since the reformation, you know, the churches were splitting in a number of different directions and the creeds, the confessions, whatever way you want to put it may have been at odds with another church that was over here. And they found that there was no unity. And so everybody's kind of fighting over doctrine and theology and whatever else. And the idea behind it is if we're going to find unity and if we're going to uh, bring about a true fellowship, it has to be rooted and based in the New Testament alone. And uh, so I think on that, just on that fact alone, uh, it, it was a good thing. Yeah, I've, I've heard the story and I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but I've heard one of the initial issues that kind of came up that maybe sparked something in the, the mind of the Campbells. Uh, was a situation to where I don't know if it was a Presbyterian church essentially had handed out communion tokens saying, you know, he, 
if you're a member of our congregation, if you ascribe to our belief and our set of doctrines, we'll give you this communion token because now we know that you are eligible to sit at the Lord's table and eat the Lord's Supper. Well, if a visiting Christian comes to that you know, assembly, uh, it may not have been enough to just say, well, do you believe the Bible? Do you believe you know, what the Bible teaches about Jesus? The question then becomes, well, do you ascribe to this list of things that we've written out? Uh, if you didn't do that, then, oh, sorry, you don't get a token. You know, you're not eligible to come and sit down at the Lord's table. And so uh, when, when the fences are built so high, um, that again, unity and, and division happens over just the smallest, you know, infinitesimal sliver of a doctrine, uh, that becomes a big danger. I mean, in the cultural moment where, again, the, the churches of Christ started, you know, going in this direction of, you know, no creed but Christ, kind of anti-creedal, uh, I think it was definitely a positive because they were looking and saying, we're not going to build a, a gate that God has not built. You know, we're not going to create a bar to jump over um, for fellowship that God hasn't built. And so I think the intentions mm-hmm. were um, incredibly pure, you know, and even righteous uh, in the face of what was uh, an overreaction, right? An overbinding. Uh, and again, I, I would call it building the fences maybe too high. Yeah, exactly to your point. I, I wanted to read another quote from Campbell. Again, not that he's the godfather of the Church of Christ, but again, the influence is, is strong there. Uh, this is a bit abridged, but it gets at the heart of it. He said, Tired of new creeds and new parties in religion, and convinced that the correction and improvement of no creed or partisan establishment in Christendom could ever become the basis of such a union, communion, or cooperation, a few individuals about the commencement of the present century began to reflect upon the ways and means to restore primitive Christianity. I mean, that's that's restorationism. Is How do we just get back to how they were all on the same page in the beginning? And we don't think, you know, these the Presbyterians got this way of doing it, the Baptists got this way of doing it, you know, they've got this way of doing it. And so seeing all that division and wanting to root it out, I mean, it was a unity movement, which is a great thing. You do want that unity. And, and as you said, putting up fences too high, kicking people out, that's not a great thing. That is something uh, to be avoided. On the other hand, you do have to have a fence, right? I mean, like, we everybody has a fence because, you know, somebody comes in and goes, oh, you know, I believe in, in Joseph Smith and the angel Moroni and the golden plates and all that, and boy, aren't we brothers? And you say, well, hold on a second. You know, and so there's always that danger of going way too far and allowing everybody to the table and going way too narrow and not allowing anybody in. And... And so the question is, do creeds create that problem? And and obviously, again, Campbell and his associates felt like it that it certainly wasn't helping. And you can kind of see their point with, with the example Titus gave with other things we knew were going on then and are still going on now, the way these documents are used to divide. And, and one thing I didn't put on the outline but I want to address is you will see some of these denominational groups cite their confession, the way they do scripture. You know, okay, well, you would say, well, we baptize Acts 2.38. And they say, well, we do this, this, and that, London Baptist Confession, because, of you know, 16.3.2. And you're like, mm-hmm. I get that you're referencing a reference book, but on the other hand, it's not scripture. It's, it's, I get that that's what you believe, but that's not, that doesn't make it authoritative just because somebody wrote it down and agreed upon it a bunch of years ago. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And that that is part of this conversation is um, levels of authority. 
you know, that that's a difficulty for us, you know, again, at, at the base, the foundation of all three of us, I believe we would say, you know, the foundation of authority are the words of Jesus Christ. It's the words in inspired scripture. That's, that's where our authority comes from. But then the question comes, can you have, can you make a statement about the Bible? Can you make a statement about your beliefs that insofar as it teaches the truth um, is authoritative to that direction, right? Or how authoritative is it? You know, what, how do you draw that line? Uh, obviously, you know, again, what a couple guys or a few dozen guys in London said 500 years ago, uh, and as far as it's based on the Bible, may be authoritative because it lines up with what the Bible says. Um, but at the same time, I can see the potential for something, a teaching, um, that, again, doesn't hold the authority that the Bible does, and yet we would look to it for guidance. I mean, how many books do we have on our shelves that are written by faithful members of the Brotherhood uh, that are on various topics that, again, are not authoritative in a scriptural sense, but in another sense, because of their wisdom from the scriptures because of what they've learned that book has something to say it has something to say that's helpful it has something to say that is uplifting it has something to say that can lead us you know to where we need to be going um and so again i think there has to be that discussion of levels of authority how much we're willing to put or or again if we just kind of nix the whole thing as a whole and say well anything beyond the bible any statement beyond that um, is saying too much. And, and we shouldn't say that because you, you get in danger of undermining the authority of the Bible. Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, I think last season we had an episode about, you know, the, basically the authority of the scriptures, the inerrancy and the all sufficiency of the scripture, everything is there. And that's where we're standing here. But when you start thinking about it and, you know, it, it's all, a bit of it is semantics. You know, we say we've got no creeds, whatever. Um, think about what we do every Sunday morning. Um, what do Bible class teachers do? What are preachers doing? We don't just get up and just read the scripture and sit back down. The preacher doesn't just get up and read a chapter of the Bible and then sit back down. In Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8, it says, uh, so the priests uh, read from the book of the law of God. And then there's this participle phrase that shows here's what they also did, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being said. Would you guys agree that this is kind of what we're thinking in terms of what a creed or a confession could be? It is the church's statement that is built on the scripture saying, here's what this means in this day and age. For example, God made them male and female, you know, it's Genesis chapter one, you can make the statement, but perhaps a confession for the church would say something along the lines of God made them male and female. Oh, God is joined together. Let no man separate. Therefore, as a church, we do not affirm any marriage between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. That's a confession. You don't have exactly that statement in the scriptures, but it's the inference that's drawn or the implication directly drawn from what the scripture says. Would you guys agree that that's kind of what we're how we're chipping this thing. That's And that's exactly my contention I started with of it's impossible to be anti-creedal, anti-confessional because nobody just reads the scriptures, as you're saying. It, like, there is interpretation. And that's one of the critiques. There's a lot of people drifting towards orthodoxy, drifting towards Catholicism. You know, there, there's kind of the analogies of, you know, they're swimming the Tiber, they're swimming the... What's the other river? 
you know, like swimming towards Euphrates? Rome, swimming toward. No, the, Vol- uh, the, the Volga, the Volga. That's a Russian river, right? No, so. it's uh, <laughs> it's. Uh, I'm 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 messing up. One is swimming towards Rome. One is swimming towards. Uh, Greece, Orthodoxy, whatever it is, um, oh. and and of Christians, Protestant people who kind of go, Wait, what is our authority structure? What? How, how did we get to all this? And this idea of, hey, we all get to interpret the Bible for ourselves, kind of the that comes from sola scriptura, comes from the uh, the Reformation. Well, that's led to all kinds of division because everybody gets their own interpretation. We need some authority. I'll just farm that out to the Orthodox, say the the Church Fathers. Um, and we're going to do something on them a little bit later in this season. Uh, you know, the, the first 500 years of Christianity, they kind of laid out all of our beliefs about everything. Problem is you start studying them and they didn't agree with each other. So that's a bit of a problem. And then you've got Rome, which says, well, we're going to take the church fathers and the papacy, the priesthood all the way up. That's the church's authority structure. Um, but in any case... There's interpretation. The Pope himself is making interpretation of scriptures. The Orthodox priests are making interpretations of scriptures. The individuals in Protestantism, everybody brings an interpretation, and your church brings an interpretation. When you have Church of Christ on the sign, you know that most of the time people can have certain expectations. Uh, A man's going to be preaching. There won't be instruments on stage. They're going to baptize people by immersion for the remission of sins. Um add a few things which we'll talk about later in the episode but and and you would say i think all of us would say if you walked in and a woman was preaching and they had a piano on the stage you'd say yeah that's not really a church of christ that they're not really among us guess what we just did we just made a confessional interpretation even though it's not written down anywhere and so this is my contention is that everybody has interpretations that are binding interpretations and so when you say no creed but Christ, that's not really true. I mean, you're using Christ's authority as the starting point, yeah. and then you're applying it, which is where you start writing a creed or a confession, whether you're putting it down or not. So, I, so I, I agree with what you just said, and I want to play devil's advocate for a moment just to see how you would respond. Say somebody, because I know somebody's listening, they're thinking probably exactly the thing that just came to mind for me. Walk into a church building, they don't have instruments, they're baptizing, it's just men up there. You say, look, if somebody, if there's a church down the road that's got the same sign on the building, says Church of Christ, but they've got a woman preacher, they baptize babies, and they're playing an organ, everybody at that one local church is going to say, though, they're not true Christians. And we we would say, look, there's a sense in which you have an unwritten confession that you're operating on. It may not be written down, but it's unwritten and it's understood. They would push back, more than likely, and say, no. We don't have any confession. We're just saying that they're disobeying the Bible. The New Testament is our only creed. How would you uh, kick against that? I would agree that they are, but the other side would say, no, we've got these Bible verses, you know, uh, you know, Priscilla taught, therefore this woman can get up and preach. Well, we would look at it and say that's a horrible misinterpretation, but it is an interpretation. And so, you know, that's I think that's one of the big errors that people make in this is we don't do any interpreting. We just read it as it is. No, we do. Everybody does. I mean, like, it's impossible to not interpret. Now, you're trying to interpret it as directly and exegetically as possible, but there's still a process in there. Right. And I mean, again, and, and I would I would agree with you. Interpretations happening all the time. And a lot of times it's a ha- it's happening apart from an express verse that directly says this. For example, 
Is there a verse in the New Testament that says, thou shall not worship me with instruments? No. And yet we're operating under that presupposition. Where do we get it from? There is no statement. In fact, that's not really that clear of a, of a thing within the scriptures, except for the fact that the New Testament church was singing. All the, all the scriptures say the church just sang. We draw from that our, our theology by implication. Right. But it, it demands that a statement be made that is, even though we wouldn't want to say this, that is in addition to what the scripture directly says. I want to think about a verse really quick that I think would really be used by those who maybe take an outright anti-credal position. You know, 1 Corinthians uh, 1 and verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And they go, great, there you go. So the second that you put something down in writing that's not the Bible, we're going to have disagreement because we can't get on that same wavelength. There's a difference. But on the other hand, I would argue and say, even within a single congregation, if we want to have this, if we all want to be of the same mind and the same judgment, imagine going into a Bible class, and I've heard this happen uh, in a denominational setting, I'm sure it happens in the church, where someone gets up and reads a passage and then says, all right, Miss Ethel, what does that mean to you today? All right, Billy Joe, what does that mean to you? If I just sit up and read a passage to 10 people and say nothing else of it, then I'm very likely going to have 10 different interpretations. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. not thinking in the same mind and having the same judgment. And so again, we fool ourselves if we think that, again, the Bible is just pull it out, read 10 verses, sit down, and everybody is going to be of one accord because that simply doesn't happen. And, and again, there's there's a lot we could go into that with, you know, having different opinions on certain things or and, and different interpretations. But at the same time, you know, this verse, I think, points to the fact that if we're going to do this, we're going to have to powwow a little bit on what that interpretation is, you know, about what that mind is, about what that judgment is, because the human heart might, might produce 10 different judgments off of a single verse of scripture. Um, and again, the majority of that may be ill-informed, you know, about the truth right. of what the Bible's saying. Well, and that's I a, a big part of Timothy and Titus is Paul writing to say, look, don't let people just get up and say whatever they want about this stuff. You've got to set them straight on X, Y, and Z, on how to do this, on how to do that, on the law, on just different kinds of things. Because, as you say, like, everyone's going to want to do this their own way. And so... I, I, a lot of this is confession-based of like what a church's you know doctrinal laundry list of things that that they believe, and so I, I would divide it this way for the sake of our discussion: is the creed is going to be essentially who's a Christian? It defines you know if, if you can confess these things, we consider you a Christian. The confessional, uh, a confession that you would come up with is. But in this house, here's how we're going to do it. This is how our church does it. If your church doesn't do it according to these lines, okay. But if you meet the creed, you're still a Christian. But if you come here, it's going to be this way. And so, you know, creed would start to be those things of like, look, do you consider somebody to be a Christian in fellowship saved? You start with, you know, baptism for the forgiveness of sins, faith in Christ, repentance, you know, those those key things. And it's like, okay, how long does that list get? And the thing that gets weird about this is, as I, I'll go ahead and get into this point, that somebody made this point and it's just brilliant, uh, a, an anonymous Twitter guy that Titus and I know, is that the lack of creed and confession makes it to where right-wing 
conservative moving Christians can constrict and place way more doctrinal burdens on somebody because there's no document limiting them. Left-wing Christians can get way looser than they should because there's no document limiting them. Oh, well, we can just do this, we can do that, we can do the other thing because there's no, doesn't say, you know, there's, there's no, you know, and, and, well, we're still a church of Christ. I mean, you've got the Pepperdine set and you've got the Memphis set going in two different directions, but they're all under the banner of church of Christ because we haven't really agreed on what that means, right? And so... Yeah. But they're, our, they're... Go ahead. They're, well, they're, they're implicit confession, which is not written brings them to say i'm not in fellowship with you exactly exactly it's, it's, it's not written but they still are saying i'm not a fish you know and I was you just could get a somebody. bunch of them in the room where they would say that and, and i mean they've done this recently with the new heaven new earth thing of all right anybody who believes in that you're you're off our lectureships you're not invited we don't want anything to do with you right. okay you say you don't have a confession but that is a plank in your confession whether you acknowledge it or not yeah well, as you were mentioning, you know, I think it's a good segue because you said, you know, if we're writing out our creed, you know, it, the who let the dogma out, you know, a suggested creed for the Church of Christ, you know, you mentioned, well, we got to have, you know, in there about, you know, hear, believe, repent, confess and be baptized. And I thought to myself, well, we should write a creed about that. And then I realized, oh, yeah, we we enact a few creeds of our own, you know, as, as Daniel's already said, things that we, um, we draw on the Bible for, we, we go to Bible, we have our, our verses that we tie to it. And yet in the exact package that we give it, uh, what is it but a condensing down, if you will, of, of a biblical presupposition. And, and again, those things uh, at their worst within the church can almost take on that exact form. I was talking to uh, a, a friend who's a preacher uh, this week, and he made note that not at, at the end of every sermon, he doesn't give the perfect five steps with cross-reference verses. And there's people in his congregation that essentially think, unless you speak that incantation over the end of the sermon, it's not a real gospel sermon. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's, again, we're, we're towing dangerously close to the line where that is a creed, you know, something that you must say, it must be said to this exact specification. Um, rather than again through the teaching, through through the the ex exposition of the Bible, exegeting it, that mm -hmm. truth comes out, you know. And so again, um, even dissidents to the, these ideas, I think, would find themselves in a similar position where you know we we have a few maybe even spoken creeds of our own, things that we uh, put up on the the bulletin board and say, well, this is the standard that we go by. Well, is that a Bible standard or is that a hermeneutical tool that we've pulled out and said, well, now we've given this authority. You know, this is how we're going to read the Bible through this one lens. I would right. love to know how many Church of Christ websites say we have no creed but Christ and also have a what we believe. What page. we believe section. That's <laughs> <laughs> probably many of them. No, but you know, one of the things that, that I want to bring out is uh, you look at the Westminster Confession. I don't know if y'all have read through it. Um, so much of it is, is good. And a lot of these guys that are producing these creeds, confessions, they would say, this is directly from scripture. I I'm drawing this from this passage, this passage, and they're tied to them. You know, the Westminster shorter confession, you know, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Are there more gods than one? There is but one only the living and true God. Now, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And all of these things, I, I'm reading through this, and 
they're drawing directly from scripture. This is from the Bible. Now, eventually they get into some Calvinistic issues where I'd say, I don't agree with that anymore, but I'm operating within an implicit confession or creed within myself that just stands at odds with it. But everybody that has these, they're not, I don't think that they're arguing. And even when I've listened to some of these guys that are perhaps Calvinists that hold to these, they would not say that these are on par with scripture. They're not trying to say that the authority trumps the scripture or even that it's equal with it. They're trying to say that this is our best interpretation of the scripture. This is kind of the parameters we've put on the Bible. I think one of the best things about that is the average member can get a hold of that and read it and know what they believe where I was just telling the story, I don't know, to you guys or somebody else the other day where I was preaching or teaching a Bible class and this woman who had been, I mean, she was in her 50s, she was an elder's daughter and I said something about, you know, the Trinity and she said, wait, Jesus and God are, are equal? Like, you know, if we had this where it was like written, this is what we believe, because the other thing is, if you went to your preacher, you went to your eldership, went to all of them together and said, guys, what do yeah. we believe about marriage in this church? What do we believe it's about children in this church? What do we believe about... Um, sin and repentance in this church and and confession right. of sins or whatever and you know you they'd be able to give you an answer and say well the scriptures say we need to do this and here's a bible verse for that and and they'd be on the same page in most of these things and it's like that is wonderful now but if they wrote it down and said hey here's what we believe and handed it out to people we'd have a problem with that why right and and again it, how much more would it help people if it was written down and you can't write down everything but when a question comes up be like you know let's study it Here's what the scriptures say. Here's what we, in this church, we're going to teach this. You know, that we're not going to say if a church disagrees on, on certain points that they're not Christians. But when you come here, we're not going to, like, you're expected to be a member of this church, that your marriage would be in this condition about divorce and remarriage conditions and things like that. We're going to expect that you are not, you know, doing X, Y, and Z, that these things we consider sins and, and like, let people know here's the parameters of this place and it gives something for people to operate within and that way you right. don't have what we talked about in the last episode people bringing new age beliefs into the church and bringing you know denominational beliefs into the church bringing baggage that they got from elsewhere or, or things that they just don't know it's all laid out like you don't have an excuse not to know it when you've had it given to you yeah the, you brought out I, I think uh titus you brought out at the beginning high walls low walls you know have the walls been too high have they been too low I think for a long time, they've not been nearly high enough. Um, it's it's impossible to address every aspect of the way the Christian needs to think in this given culture in any reasonable amount of time. If somebody comes on a Sunday morning and that's the only thing that they're getting is the preaching, then how long are they able to operate with maybe an idea that coincides with secular thinking? And it's, it's antithetical to Christ, but they've been doing it all along. But because there's no clear, direct teaching that they got on that issue, they're still thinking within it. Having a creed or a confession would allow somebody to come into the church and right off the bat know where the church stood, know what their thinking ought to be. And it would help them to understand, you know, right from the start, here's the expectation. For example, one of them, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we talk about Matthew 5, Matthew 19, a church's stance on marriage and divorce and remarriage and what constitutes a legitimate marriage versus an adulterous marriage. How many times have people been coming to church for three years, four years, five years with no clear teaching on it? Cause you don't get to that every Sunday. There's no direct statement on it that they were able to read maybe before they even became members. And they find out five years later, I'm living in an adulterous marriage and 
either, hey, I need to repent and change this, or I would have never started coming here. I would have gone somewhere else. It kind of separates the wheat from the chaff right off the bat. It even makes it a little bit simpler, I think, for for preachers to say, hey, you know, you're wanting to come here, read over this set of statements. And uh, how does this sit with you? Yeah. But 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 uh, one sorry one other thing that I wanted to bring out along those lines of of the walls is um, if we don't set the walls high enough, the people are going to go out and they're going to get their thinking from the culture. Th- their interpretive lens is going to be formed by the culture. If it isn't given from the church, it's going to be given from their peers or just from the way that the general population is thinking. Our thinking needs to be set by the. Leadership over the church who who yes. are who are who are spiritual and who are in the word and who are able to give true counsel and guidance. And having it in a written compact form is really no different than a sermon or a Bible class. It just allows it to be kind of upfront. Here's where we are. What do you think about this? The walls really, need to be higher. Go ahead. I really, I really think, you know, and you just made the point greatly, you know, what, what is an eldership? What is spiritual leadership? I, I have long had this kind of uh, play out in my head of an elder going up to the podium and going, Hey guys, this summer we've noted, um, you know, on Wednesday nights that a lot of our young people aren't here because of uh, sports and different things that are going on. Uh, we want to draw a stance on this as a church and say, Hey, we want you to become less involved with those things so that you can be active here and, and be an active member. And I think it would be totally within the power of an eldership to make that statement. <laughs> that's that's shepherding. You know, that's that's leading somebody in a direction. And again, the, the first I mean, we all know it's the silver bullet phrase, all this. You can't bind that. You can't bind that. That's not in the scripture. Okay. But once you put yourself under that eldership, and again, it goes back to submission, uh, they're being informed by the word of God. You know, they they are drawing upon the treasures of the wisdom found in Jesus. And so, you know, again, that leadership at times is going to step on toes. It's going to feel like, well, good gracious, you know, it's e- it's easier to go to, to go to heaven than to be a member of this church. And that is true in some cases. But on the other hand, again, as you move away from that uh, abuse of it, you get to a point where, hey, coming to this church, your life is going to look different. You're, you're going to be changed. You're, you're going to have to make changes that are going to be perhaps uncomfortable, but that are ultimately going to be for your spiritual good. And I think that's, you know, again, that just comes part and parcel with it. One other thing I wanted to mention, you know, as what we've talked about, I think you guys have brought up great points that are all doctrine based, but you know, are a lot of pragmatic things. What do we do? How do we do this? But one thing that I want to say uh, with caveats is that I think that our anti-creedal nature in a lot of ways has made lots of members of the church theologically weak. Um, when it comes to, uh, you know, w- one thing in the intro, read um, with, with the Campbell quote, where he starts to say, you know, we, we want to break down these walls. We want to cast off, you know, the Presbyterian way of thinking this way. And then he throws out Trinitarian. Right. <laughs> I, I cringe because I go, you know, obviously, and I, I want to be, be frank here, you know, there's lots of denominational bodies out there that recite the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed every Sunday. You know, they have this stuff down and they're as, you know, off the rails and out of left field as possible. So I'm not saying that this is a an answer all to any problem that you have in the church theologically. But mm-hmm. I do think, again, something like Trinitarian theology is, is an inference that you can make out of the New Testament that is 
correct. It, it's right. true. And um, necess- and like and, absolutely necessary. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to have that basis. If you don't have that basis, you're going to make mistakes with, with the practical stuff, with, with things like that. And again, if, if not that, then you leave yourself open um, to a wolf, really. If you don't have that nailed down, then a wolf can come in and use that as leverage to mislead the church. And so again, just from a theological standpoint, as you were mentioning that story, Jack, I mean, someone that has sat in church for years mm-hmm. and has a fundamental misunderstanding about the nature of God. And again, it goes back to you know, ma- what we major on. We major on doing it right, getting the worship service right, doing the baptism right, getting saved right. But if we do that to the degradation of who is God, what's the nature of God, and pretending mm-hmm. like that doesn't inform our Christian life, then we've we've missed something. We've missed a major thing. Uh, oh, yeah. And I think that that again, you know, condensing this down to where it's semi-understandable, to where we go, hey, from the bat, you need to know who Jesus is, what he did, what the death, burial, and resurrection mean, and again. To, to the shame of to Christianity as a whole, what the ascension means. You know, let's draw right. the ascension. What does that mean in our life? And and again, if someone can sit in that building for five years and not hear a word about that, yeah, um, you're you're playing with fire. It's so I, for sure, I've long <clears throat> criticized the preaching baptism and instruments all the time because the analogy I've used is if you had a baseball team that came to. <clears throat> The ballpark every week and sat down on the bench in the dugout and read the rules of baseball and then went home like all right here's the rules here's how you run to first base here's three outs if you do that like here's the basic things that make up the structure here's the lines here's the foul pole here's in and out here's you know all of the things that go into the rules of baseball and then you went home and you never played baseball this hands everybody the rule book, teaches everybody the rule book, says, all right, you got this, now let's go play ball. Then we can talk about, hey, where's your attendance? Hey, that modesty issue, these things. And this gets to, I need to put like a little sound effect ding every time we say it in an episode, theological minimalism of, boy, we're not going to get into those practical real life things because that's where people get uncomfortable <clears throat> that the church is forcing something on them, binding something on them, as you said. And so we're not going to get into that. We'll just get up and preach on baptism again. Like, stop reading the rule book. Give people the rule book. Let people know the rule book. Know that if you're going to be here, you have agreed to this rule book. Not that it's authoritative, but it's here's what we teach from the Bible here. Uh, Now you've got that behind you. You've got that foundation that every member in the church has agreed to that. And they are allowed to be a part of it as long as they continue to agree to that and operate within it. And then you can make those course corrections to their day-to-day life of getting of getting out of theological minimalism. Yeah, I had a great point. I'm sorry, I jumped in there. It's it's completely gone. It's left me completely. No, but uh, kind of uh, dovetailing what Titus was saying about how we've made Christians with weak theology. I think a lot of Christians have no idea what they think about a number of issues. They have no idea what they think about the Trinity. A lot of Christians have no idea who Jesus is. I've I've ha- I've met Christians who've been Christians for a really long time within Churches of Christ. They don't know that Jesus is literally God or that he was the one that literally made the universe. They think that he was created or they just really don't get it. It's not clear to them. We have no idea where we stand on eschatology. What's coming down the line? We have really no idea. We only know a couple of simple rules. And the the problem is 
doing always follows thinking. And so if our thinking is shallow and if our thinking is weak or if our thinking is uh, simply untrue, it's going to manifest itself. It's absolutely going to manifest itself in the way that we behave. And it may not come out immediately. And within a, you know, a simple society like this, where we're able to operate as Christians without you know, somebody threatening to kill us or stone us or whatever, we may be able to carry on for a long time just with it under the surface. But when a persecution comes or when some big issue comes like COVID or, you know, the homosexual issue or the transgender issue or marriage or whatever, if the thinking on these things hasn't been formally established, Christians are going to follow. They're going to do as their uh, superficial theology allows them to do, which most of the time, most of the time goes into apostasy. So I think that's to me, I'm, I'm convinced. I think we need to have these. And just based on that that point alone, within a church, there needs to be some formally established uh, statement that says, "Here's here's where we're at." Yeah, the the problem is you get into the the practical now. Okay, how do we develop a creed, a confession? How do we? Where would these come from? And honestly, I, I because we're not denominational, because we're not the SBC, where we've got a big convention every year, we can't send everybody to. What would it be polishing the pulpit or the freed lectures or, or one of those other you know big Church of Christ events? All right, we're going to get everybody in a room and decide on this. What is the Bible's authority structure? The eldership, and so I think you know an eldership should determine. Hey, here's what we believe a Christian is or isn't. You know, according to the scriptures, and it is the plan of salvation. It's a few basics. It is believing in God Trinitarian wise, and and those things that somebody can be can get those right and be wrong about other things and still be a Christian. Because that's the other thing is we end up adding and adding and adding and adding where you've got to be right about every detail of theological minutia or you're not a Christian. Well, that's no good. But where you get into the minutia is you can say, hey, in our church, another church might disagree with us on this and we'll still be in fellowship with them. But here we're going to teach X, Y, Z about this topic, that topic or the other topic. And here's where somebody will cross a line and they we won't be in fellowship with them anymore. We're going to consider them outside of the bounds of Christianity. And so it might be that you put instrumental music in your church's creed and think, you know what, a church that has an instrument on the stage, we don't consider them saved. A lot of churches operate that way. That's fine. Just write it down is what I'm saying here. On the other hand, you might say here, we're going to sing by acapella with a song leader, you know, but the church that mics up extra people or puts a chorus we don't agree with that we are not going to do it here we still consider them christians we just think they're wrong about that and so then you can get to this levels of fellowship thing that i think lagarde smith and others have like tried to parse out of who's in who's out who's in at arm's length and and you know i mean these are hard questions um and the easiest thing to do is just be like nobody but me is saved uh one of my bear valley teachers used to say you know i'm getting to the point where i think all, my wife and i are the only ones who are saved I'm not too sure about her, you know, <laughs> and yeah, like you can, you I, yeah. can go that direction if you're not careful, but this, like, all I'm asking us to do is acknowledge that we already do this because by acknowledging it, it makes us do it in good faith. It makes us do it, you know, uh, more, more consciously. And so you, when you start sitting down and going, what really would I disfellowship somebody over? That's a hard discussion. That's a hard decision. What would our church really consider beyond the pale, in the faith, out of the faith, and 
you know, not that we have that authority to label somebody in the faith or out of faith, but we do have some level of authority of, again, if somebody comes in and goes, well, I worship Allah, you're out of the faith. Well, we just did it there. So again, we're not against the concept. It, these are hard things that we just, I feel like, skirt around. I'm, yeah. I'm just sitting, I just want to butt in with a bad joke and say, I'm sitting here laughing at the idea of the first council of Henderson or Sevierville, like being a historical. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. The, the shorter Sevierville convention or whatever, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, you know, this is just uh, something that came to mind as you're talking. Um, two years ago, three years ago at the church here in uh, Kingfisher, it was uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday, which um, I don't always, but uh, I try to make a practice of preaching about uh, the sanctity of life and the protection of the unborn uh, on the Sanctity of Life Sunday. It happens every year. And uh, prior to that, I uh, I got with my elders and I drew up a or I I drafted up a statement of faith regarding um, the pro ch- pro choice pro life position and where we are as a congregation. I could uh, I could probably find it right now and pull it up, but I won't take the time to do so. But uh, basically, it says that um, in order to be a uh, faithful Christian, you have to recognize the sanctity of life. It's completely at odds with Christ to uh, to take the pro-choice stance, and we are not in fellowship with anybody who. This is more or less what it said. It's very direct, very very plain. The pro-choice position is antithetical to Christ, and you cannot be a faithful Christian while maintaining that. Kind of uh, fits with what you're talking about, Jack. I I don't have a problem with that. And, you know, somebody might, somebody might be listening to and say, I wouldn't do that. Well, good. It's not your church. Like that's, that's the beauty of this, of, of autonomy. This is, we don't have time for this offshoot, but autonomy is one of the other great things about this is it helps churches determine what they're okay with fellowshipping and what they aren't. We say we have autonomy, but then we start binding these unwritten creeds to be like, that's not a sound church. And, and that just means whatever that personal interpretation means. And so somebody would say, well, Kingfisher's not a sound church because they bind where the Bible hasn't bound on sanctity of life. That's your problem. You know, like they might, like that's, if Kingfisher has decided to do that and, and that's part of a, a statement they want to stand behind and it's something that's coming from the pulpit and with the blessing of the elders, that's how it is there. God has given them a, that authority and we need to acknowledge that authority. Yeah. yeah. Autonomy is one of those great things, again, where we all believe in it until we don't. Um, and, and, you know, I, the answer to this, again, I, I do wonder if the well is so poisoned on the term creed and on the term confession. You know, that, that's the hard thing of, of introducing and say Jack comes in and says, hey, guys, here I got a full box of Church of Christ creed right here. You know, uh, let's see how that goes. But I think on the other end, the, the way that you practically do this is to let elders lead their churches let them be authoritative, let them be shepherds. Um, Because when you do that, not only from within the congregation, but without of the congregation, there is that middle ground. Like we're, you know, with the whole episode we've been talking about, you can go too far this way. You can go too far this way. We all, I think, need to come to a point in good faith where we say there is this middle ground where we can be faithful and disagree and have Romans 14 type disagreements that land within the authority of an eldership. You know, and if we let that happen, um, then I can see it being a hop, skip and a jump away from going, hey, you know, why can't we just 
like you're saying, write it down, <laughs> write it down. This is what the eldership is putting forth and saying, this is our statement. Um, and if a church is unable to do that, I mean, now we've, you know, not only for the people coming in, but even for outward facing, I mean, that, that division, that wall isn't just for the people inside, but it's for the people outside. What does the world see? If we can't say, Hey, this is where we stand on abortion, which the Bible never mentioned, you know, pornography, which the Bible never explicitly mentions, you know, all of these things, we've just stymied our, our ability to speak to the world in a lot of meaningful ways, you know, and I, and I think we do that to our own hurt uh, if we, if we hold ourselves back that way. Absolutely. Yeah. There, to give one example, cause we're, we're running up against our time once again, but I, I was at a congregation there. They didn't have, we didn't have an eldership, but their leadership group that, you know, the men uh, had determined that they wanted Christmas and Easter, you know, Jesus's birth. Um, resurrection easter sermons you know things like that and i'm i'm fine with that sure if that's what they want i i'll do it so i preached it we had a visitor that easter sunday when we talked about the resurrection and he went up to one of the men and he was hot fired of like i'm not coming back it was a nice church nice people i'm not coming back because you had that and the you guy can, you that, can preach about the resurrection every day of the year except right, just not on easter except right. for easter um, it's the reverse creed so that member came to me and he's like hey this guy said this and so we need to apologize and, and back off of this and I said, this was the determination of this congregation. And and that was, again, it's not an authoritative thing as just much as here's how we do it in this house. In this family, this is how it's going to be. And he can choose to be a part of that or not be a part of that. That's up to him. If he comes here, this is how it's going to be. But this idea that we've got to morph ourselves to what everybody wants and, and not talk about things or, or just avoidance of any kind of doctrinal really avoiding decision making we'll just not make the decision and hope everybody's appeased you know to your point titus like they want to know the world wants to know where we stand on things let's actually tell them our people need to know where we stand on things and so uh i i'm for as you said the the words are loaded with baggage make it your what your what we believe statement on your website or whatever like that that's just fine that's the same thing we're just calling it something different um those are my thoughts on it. I, this is something, as I said, this is kind of my passion right now. My my church authority, church fences, church leadership, shepherding, all these things we've talked about are really the wheelhouse of, of my study over the last year. And so I uh, appreciate you guys indulging me with a, uh, a brainstorming session on it. Uh, do you guys have anything to add before we close? Just send all complaints and questions to Jack Wilkie because he's the one that's thought all about this. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I'll get him anyway. So, uh, Daniel, anything from you? No, I'm uh, like I said at the beginning, I'm just kind of feeling my way through it. And I was saying it slightly tongue in cheek earlier when I said I'm all for this. But uh, this discussion has has given me some clarity on it for sure, um, because uh, it, it, we are doing this to a degree. And how you parse out the difference between one autonomous church and another one and where those lines of fellowship are, I've got a lot of thinking left to do there, and I'm sure everybody listening does as well. Um, Jack, yeah. maybe you've got all the answers on that, but um, I I'll think sell we, it to we you just, when I have a book ready. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's uh, again, I want to thank you guys for the discussion. Thanks to all those who are listening. Uh, we'll be back next week we don't have our topic for next week yet so you're gonna have to tune in to find out uh what what it is we just des uh decide to speak on but uh we hope you're enjoying it we're thankful uh, to be back on a second season and yeah that's all i got for this time so we'll talk to you guys next week